The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 2 to start. If you um, don't have a Bible, we've got some there in the back. You can raise your hand on up and we can pass those out to you. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, we invite you to take that one with you. It's our gift to you. Uh, You can take it and uh, read it and uh, pray that it would speak to your heart. So Jeremiah 2 is where we're going to start. Well, uh, we're in uh, week number two of our Advent series here. uh, And Advent just simply means coming or arrival. And when you talk about Advent, I know it's a church word. Uh, It's not a word that you use in your everyday talks uh, at work or at school or whatever. Uh, But it does mean uh, the arrival of something significant. Not just an arrival, but it is the arrival of something significant, knowing that Christmas is coming. And what we celebrate as Christians in Christmas is the arrival or the coming of the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And so uh, this Advent uh, series is really helping us point toward the coming of Jesus. And we started last week, and we just really began to answer the question, what's wrong with us? All right. Uh, Last week, we just basically uh, dove into the question, uh, how come my heart is always longing uh, and leads me into brokenness? How come we're so bent? How come we have addictions? How come I'm so prone to anger? How come I'm so uh, prone to lust? How come I'm so prone to laziness? How come I want so many other things other than God in my life? We answered that question last week. You can go back and you can listen to it. But really, here's what the Bible's going to answer. It says two things. One, we've been created in the image of our God. And two, that eternity has been written on the hearts of men so that nothing temporary, nothing of this world will eventually satisfy the longing of our hearts other than God. And so we chase things, we long for things, we want things, we desire things. And and the problem is those things will never satisfy us because they're not eternal things. Only God can satisfy the longings of our heart. So you and I, when we were born, we were born into what the Bible's going to call iniquity, which is a bent towards stuff rather than God which is a bent towards wanting temporary stuff or created stuff rather than the creator of all the stuff. Are you with me on that? And so here we are born into a a craving, an eternal craving that can't be satisfied. And so you know what we do is we have an eternal hunger. Anybody ever been hungry? Some of you guys are hungry right now. Like, I'm already thinking about lunch. What time is it, right? Uh, we're, we're, we're hungry, but we have an eternal hunger within us, and we're trying to satisfy it with things like ramen noodles, which are gross, right? But they're, they're cheap, and so you're like, man, I'm so hungry. What am I going to eat? I guess I'll eat these noodles. And so here's what we do is God offers the filet mignon for our hungry hearts, and we're saying, I'd rather just eat this. I'd rather, just, I'd rather just eat these cheap, salty, nasty, crusty noodles. You, you C.S. Lewis, he, he puts it great. He says, he says, we're like kids in the slums, playing in puddles of mud, not knowing what it means to have a holiday at the sea. Because God offers himself to us, yet, yet we're trying to satisfy a craving that's within our hearts with temporary things. And God's like, I'm right here. 
And so, and so uh, Jeremiah chapter 2 is going to help us kind of paint the picture of, of, of this concept. Jeremiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to me. So this is, uh, this is Jeremiah. He's a prophet of God. He says, uh, the word of God came to me saying, Jeremiah, I want you to go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord. And so there's two things going on here. Jeremiah is there. Uh, he's a prophet of God. And God says to Jeremiah, hey, I want you to go tell the people something. And this is what I want you to tell them. All right. That's why it's indented. There. Here it is. So this is God talking to the people. He says, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. He, he, says, he says, I remember, I remember a time when you as my bride, when you as my children were devoted to me. I remember the time that you, that you loved me. I remember the time that you trusted me, that you loved me, that you were so in tune with me and devoted to me that I would lead you in the land of wilderness and you would trust me so much that you would follow me. You know what that's called? It's called faith. He says, I remember, I remember when you were devoted that you would, you would follow me into lands unknown. Now, now, many people think God is angry, but he's not angry. He's very compassionate here. Look in, look in verse 5. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? Doesn't that sound like us? I mean, this is God talking to the people here. And God looks at the people and he says, he, says, he says, what did I do? Where did I go wrong? What did I do? What, 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 what problem did I do? What wrong did your fathers find in me? That you would walk away from me. That you would chase after things that are worthless and become worthless. I mean, hear me. Haven't you seen God deliver you over things? Haven't you seen God rescue you? Haven't you seen God take you out of the miry clay and set your feet on a solid rock? Haven't you seen God part the sea so that you could walk through on dry land? Haven't you seen God do those things? And they saw those things, and God's asking, what did I do that was so bad that would make you chase other things besides me? I am the deliverer. I am the rescuer. I am the glorious one. And, and we, and you know what we do? We just chase and we run away. And God says, I remember, I remember how devoted you were to me. I remember your faith. I remember how it was. He says, what did I do? Look in verse 9. God pleads with them in verse 9. Therefore, I, God, still contend with you, declares the Lord. And with your children's children, I will contend. Uh, skip down verse 11. He says, as nations changed its gods, even though they are not gods. I mean, that's a verse right there, isn't it? I mean, has, has the nation changed their gods? And they're not even gods. He says, well, you're, you're chasing all this stuff. You're, you're, you're forgot about me. I rescued you. I delivered you. I, I saved you. I brought you to myself. And now you're just chasing 
that? Has, has the nation not, not done that? He says, he says look, they're, they're not even gods. He says, my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, utterly desolate, declares the Lord. He says, doesn't that make you sick? Okay, we can look out among the masses and say, man, look at that. That, that. Oh, man, that's disgusting. But he's talking about us. When you do that, doesn't that make you sick? Doesn't that, doesn't that appall you? Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, my people, my people, my people have committed two evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. I, I am the fountain of living waters. You've forsaken me and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. He, he, says, he says we've committed two sins. He says, one, we've abandoned God. And not only did we abandon God, but we made new gods. So not only did we walk away the fountain of living water, we actually started constructing and making new gods, new avenues for our worship. And so we've tried to fill our hearts with stuff over him. And God's going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me get this right. I'm the creator. I'm the sustainer. I'm the deliverer. I'm the redeemer. I'm the comforter. I'm the provider. Listen, I am the fountain in which everything else flows. I am, I am the fountain of living water. And you left me to go do your own thing? Are you kidding me? Have you not seen how I work? You left me to go do your own thing. And not only that, you started to create what you think is a God. And so, and so you began to dig cisterns. You began to dig wells. And in your wells, you're like, you know what? Your, your, your heart is thirsty. You're like, I'm thirsty. You're thirsty? I'm thirsty. Man, I could sure use a drink of water. What should we do? I know what we'll do. Let's dig. Water's down there somewhere. Let's dig. And so you start digging, and you start digging, and you start digging, and you finally get to some, a little bit of water. And he says, you think that your longing, your thirst will be satisfied in this thing. And so you start to dig. And he says, don't you see your sister in your well? It doesn't even hold water. You think that you can dig a hole deep enough and fill it up with water that somehow, whenever you're thirsty, you can come back to it and it will sustain you? He says, don't you see? Your bucket, it's got a hole in it. You dig these cisterns, but they can't even hold water. You've made new gods and new things to worship, and it never satisfies and so here we are, we're digging and we're digging and we're digging. And God's like, are you kidding me? I'm the living water. I'm the one who provides. I'm the one who gives. I'm the one in which your heart will be satisfied. Okay, now listen to me. Because the Bible calls that iniquity. The Bible has a name for it. And it's called Iniquity. It's a, it's, a, it's a bent 
towards looking to other things besides God. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a longing, it's a thinking that we can dig holes deep enough that somehow we can fill them up with water and that somehow they'll sustain us. But the Bible is going to say, no, 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 that's iniquity that you're trying to quench the thirst of your heart with something other than the living water who is God. And so, and so we feel it, we know it, we need it, and God is just sitting there saying, come on. And, and here's the deal, is you know it. I mean, can we be honest? I mean, don't you know it? Don't you know it? I mean, you're not sitting here thinking, thinking man, I don't love God. I love God. I, I love God, and, 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 and I know that he is the real deal. I know that, that he's the best for me, and, and I know that I want and I think and I long for other things that will satisfy me. I think I know what I need. And you, and you say to yourself, self? Do you, do you say that? I don't know if you call yourself self. Do you call yourself by name? Eric? But you begin, you, begin to, you begin to kind of preach to yourself. You know what I'm saying? Do you preach to yourself? I preach to myself all the time. Psalm 42 and 43. Why are you so downcast on my soul? Hope in God. I tell myself that all the time. But you're, you're there, right, in that moment. And you say, self, come on, self, what's wrong with me? I know I love God, and I know this thing doesn't satisfy me. So why do I want it so badly? Have you ever been there? I mean, come on, don't leave me hanging. Tell me I'm not the only one. Tell me you've been there. I've been there. I'm thinking to myself, man, I know this thing doesn't fulfill me, but why do I want it so badly? Proverbs. It says that there's a way that seems right to men, but in the end it leads to death. Because there's a way that seems right to you, but in the end it doesn't work out. If we were honest, could we be honest and say that no one has betrayed us more than myself? I mean, has anyone betrayed you more than you? I mean, has anyone let you down more than you've let yourself down? Nobody has. I mean, we, 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 we have time and time and time and time again put our hope in something that doesn't hold water. This is called iniquity. Iniquity is a bent that leads to transgression or sin. Now, let me explain that. Iniquity is not necessarily sin. It's the longing for things. And when that iniquity is fulfilled, it leads to transgressions. Are you with me on that? So iniquity is this longing that's in me that says, man, I want this. I'm going this way. I don't know why I want it. I know God is better. I'm going that way. And then when that manifests itself externally, that's sin. But this is iniquity. It's a longing that is within our hearts. And, and, and hear me. Because into this iniquity, into this mess that we are all in, God enters in and gives us some awesome promises. Amazing promises. Have you ever thought about the fact that God makes his promise towards you knowing that you were going to cheat on him? Hmm? You ever thought of that? 
And we, 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 we heard from a couple that just got engaged. We know a few people that just got married. Listen, would you still stand there in those vows knowing six months, one year, two years down the road that they're not going to be faithful to you? Oh, no, oh, no, not only not faithful, over and over and over again, they're going to turn on you. I mean, imagine that in a movie. I mean, let's just play it out, right? Let's just, let's just go there. You watch this movie. These two, they make a vow to each other. They make a promise. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And then all of a sudden, you know, when the title screen comes up six months later or two years later, whatever, right? Whatever that is, it pops up. And then, and then the guy is like going to his work, sleeping with some other girl. And she's going to sleep. And, and so you're looking at that and you're saying, what in the world? I mean, what would you say in that moment? Drop him. Get out of there. Forget that fool. Is that not what we say? Come on. Is that what we would say? God stands there and sees it and says, no, I'm in. No matter what. Men. So we have a bent towards. But God, God comes to us. Listen, we rebel against our creator And the promises from God the Father is that God fulfills his promises. And his promises are based on him and not on us. And that's good news. That's good news. Look at uh, Isaiah 53. This is going to be our primary text. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, you could flip to the left. Or if you've got one of those electronic ones, you can scroll down. So Isaiah is before Jeremiah. So you slip back. Uh, Look in Isaiah 53. We'll pick it up in verse 3. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him. We esteemed him not. Listen to this. Surely he has bore our griefs. And carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our, give me that word. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. And so here's the deal. Surely Jesus, this is past tense. This is saying he's going to fulfill it. And he has done it in Jesus, in the cross. He's bore our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. He uh, carried our transgressions. He was wounded for that. And he was crushed for our iniquities. And he, on his punishment, he brought us peace. With his stripes, we are healed. Verse 6, he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid. Hear me. The Lord God has laid it. He placed it, all right? He laid it. The Lord has laid on him the what? The iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shears is silent. He opened not his mouth. 
By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief and when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Here's the deal. Some of you, some of you grew up in church, all right? Maybe you're the type of person where your mom actually gave birth to you in a church, in the pew, whatever, you know? You come out crying, well, you know, you spank, and your first words are Jesus, I mean, you're, you're born on the altar. I mean, some of you, you, you know do's and don'ts. You know what to do. You know what not to do, right? And, and hear me, you've, you've probably never been drunk, and you've never been high, and you've never killed anybody, and, and, and your true love, it waited, right? And all those things. And you know all the Sunday school stories, and you are the gold member of the Awana Alumni Club, Now, I'm not dogging those things because, honestly, I would love for my kids to have that testimony. But here's the deal. That, that's your story. But others of you, maybe that's not you at all. Maybe you're like me and you, you, you grew up in a broken home. Maybe, maybe you know what it means to battle abuse. Maybe you know what it means to have addictions. Maybe earlier this morning or this week, you were in the middle of one of the biggest struggles of your life. Your life has been one struggle to the next. And, and, and maybe you've walked in here this morning. I don't know. Maybe you've walked in here and you're a little hungover or you're a little high right now. Let me just tell you, welcome to Life Point Church. So good that you're here. But here's what the Bible says. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Every one of us have turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Of us all, it says we all like sheep, all our transgressions, all our iniquities are taken from us in Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you why that's such good news. Because listen, if he just took our transgressions, but not our iniquities. If he just came and he just took our external punishment for our external sins, but didn't deal with our heart, life would be long and hard and exhausting, and eventually we're losing hope. And so, so it's good news, because if God says, I'm just going to forgive your sin, but I'm not going to give you a new heart, I'm just going to deal with your external stuff, but not your internal stuff, I'm just going to simply uh, work with all the things that you've done wrong, rather than giving you a new heart, then we're going to return to our brokenness over and over and over and over and over again. And it leaves us angry and bitter people, particularly before God. I mean, on, on, that, on that wedding day, you make those vows, right? But if you never do anything to ever try to fulfill the vows, you, you're going to be bitter. 
you're going to eventually hate your spouse. Won't you? I mean, I mean if, if, if I said to my wife on that day, listen, I vow I'm going to do everything I can to the best of my ability to help cherish you and love you and show you affections and begin to, to lead you closer to Jesus Christ. But listen, I never even get in the locker room, much less the game. She's going to be angry. Why do What? I mean, if I never get to the bat, I'm not promising I'm going to hit a home run every time. But I got to get to the plate. So if God doesn't deal with our iniquities, it's going to leave us bitter and helpless before God. And so here we are. God makes straight our bents. If all God does in the coming Messiah and the crushing of Jesus is to forgive our sins but doesn't make straight what's crooked to me, life's going to be exhausting and eventually I'm going to lose hope. But the promises of God is that through the coming of Jesus Christ, both your transgressions and your iniquities are taken. Both your external behavior and your internal internal desire both are worked on through the coming of the Messiah Jesus Christ that's great news because I'm messed up anybody Right? I mean, that's phenomenal news for me because Jesus doesn't come and make these promises based on me. He doesn't say, I'm going to promise to help your heart if you would just simply do something, if you would behave better, if you walked out of these things. He says, I'm going to work these promises in you because I'm faithful and true, and that's all I know how to be. He's God. It's great news. So here's the deal. God fulfills his promise by sending his son Jesus into our brokenness, crushing him for your sin and your bent. And that was God's plan all along. That's verse 10. It was the will of God to crush him to work with the sin. Which means God doesn't just deal with our symptoms. He helps cure the disease. Some of you are nurses. Any nurses? A couple nurses. Okay. Some of you uh, know nurses. How many of you know a nurse? All right, here we go. Some of you have just spent enough time in the hospital that you know how it works. But, but hear me. If you go into the hospital and they're just simply treating symptoms but not treating the disease, you're in a lot of trouble. Amen? I mean, if they're just trying to help with the pain and help with the fever, they're just trying to get that under control, but they don't know what's wrong with you and they don't want to know how to fix you, you're in trouble because you're eventually going to lose hope. They don't even know what's wrong. They don't even know how to help me. I guess I'm just stuck here. So many Christians live their life not understanding that Jesus bore the iniquity and the sin. And you think that Jesus just took your and you're left on your own to deal with the iniquity, and you're running a race that gets you nowhere. And you lost hope. What am I to do? I don't, I don't know how to cure this disease. Listen, the coming of the Messiah helps not only with the symptoms, but he helps cure the disease. That's phenomenal for me. 
Because now I can stand here and say, the arrival of Jesus this Christmas is the fulfillment of his promises to take care of all of the ways that I've fallen short, all the ways I will fall short. But he actually makes straight my crooked heart. When I was uh, a young man, uh, probably junior high, I remember junior high days, they used to do the, uh, the scoliosis test. Do you guys remember that? Do they still do that? Okay. It was super embarrassing because they'd pull the girls in one room and the guys in one room and they tell all the girls to wear like swimsuits or something like that. And so uh, basically they would pull us, it was always in PE class, and so they would separate you up and uh, uh, you would take your shirt off so that doctors and nurses can look at your spine. That's what scoliosis is. It's an it's a, it's a informality of the spine. It's a twisting or a bending of the spine. And they try to catch it early because it's not caught early, it's going to go bad for you. And so what we would do is we would line up and uh, all the guys would take their shirts off. Not that that's abnormal for us guys. It's just different in that setting, right? You go in the locker room, you take your shirt off anyway. But here you are in a line. You're like, okay. And everybody takes their shirts off. And you're standing there. And uh, the nurse and maybe a doctor or someone else comes by. And they're like, all right, stand straight. Now, this is uh, really awkward for me because uh, I'm what you would call gangly. <laughs> Some of you may say Skinny. Bird legs, something like that, I don't know. Uh, uh, but, but here's the deal. When I, when I stand, when, particularly when I was like, like 85 pounds in the eighth grade, right? Uh, uh, the, 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 kid, the, the kids, uh, you could see like my bones. <laughs> and so, I, so they would stand there and they would look and they would put your hands together and you bend over like this and they would kind of look down your back to look at your spine to see if it's straight or crooked. And mine, you could see it so well, but they would always call me into the, like, the next room. There's always like room number two. Like, you're okay, put your shirt on. You're okay, put your shirt on. You're okay, put your shirt on. You're... Why don't you step over there? <laughs> All right? Okay, you're okay, you're okay. And so, and so they would always call counsel on me. I don't know what it was. Maybe my, maybe my back was weird. Maybe you could just see it really clearly. <laughs> Right? They're like, look at this guy's spine, right? And so, and so they would always pull me aside. Uh, but eventually, uh, I think my hips were a little bit uneven. But, but here's the deal. If you don't catch that before you hit that growth spurt, it's going to grow crooked, and it's going to go really bad for you. And if you don't fix that, your life is going to be miserable. The coming of Jesus makes that bent straight so that we can know God and know that we don't always have to run towards cisterns. Okay, so, so here's the deal. How does Jesus do that? Wouldn't you like to know? How does that happen? Look in verse 10 again with me. Isaiah 53, verse 10. It says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. We shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Now, now hear me. This is the picture of Christ. Being slain for our sin. 
being crushed for our iniquities, being tortured for our sin. He was beaten. He was bloodied. He was mocked. He was spit upon. He was nailed upon the cross for hours. He hung there. And, they, and God looks upon that and he sees that Jesus absorbed the wrath of God toward all your sin and your iniquity. And he sees that and he says, I'm satisfied because Jesus absorbed fully the wrath of God toward our sin. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted for righteous. This is how it happens. The righteous one takes the place of the unrighteous one and gives his righteousness to the unrighteous. It's it's the great exchange. It's the righteous one for the unrighteous and now the unrighteous receives his righteousness. Jesus, no deceit in his mouth, no sin to be found. Nothing can be brought against Jesus because he was perfect and sinless in every way, yet he punished in all the ways that you and I deserve to be punished. He died the death that we deserve to die and he takes our unrighteousness and he clothes us with his righteousness. Look at what it says. Shall the righteousness of one, my servant Jesus, make many to be accounted for righteous, and he shall bear their, what is it? His iniquities. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes, that word is, intercession for the sinners. Intercession for the sinners. So not only are my iniquities and my transgressions removed from me, placing them all on Jesus, but what I get in exchange is his righteousness. Okay, that's great news when you know you're not righteous. And it will be great news for you when you finally figure out that you're not righteous. Because, because listen, outside of Jesus, no one is righteous. Outside of Jesus Christ, no one by our birth are creatures of God's wrath. We're not righteous. There's nothing you do that's righteous. Listen, not only on your worst day is it a problem, but on your best day, it's still a problem. So many of me think, oh yeah, I've committed a sin back then, maybe yesterday, maybe the day before. And, and, and you're here and you say, yeah, I fell that day. I fell short on that day. I know I wasn't righteous on that day. And so I need Jesus to cover me on that day. But the Bible's going to say that even on your best day, you're not righteous. Even on your best day. So hear me. The day that you woke up and rolled out of bed on your knees, praying, rubbing those beads, reading your Bible, right? You're going to church. You're going to give in the offering. You're going to come to the altar. You're going to do all those things, right? And then after church, you're going to go feed the poor and meet the widows. And when the robber comes up to you, you're going to give them your coat and your tunic while turning the other cheek. Listen to me. On that day, filthy rags. On that day, it says, it, says, it says even your good works are like filth toward a righteous, holy, perfect 
God. So it's, listen, it's not just you on your worst day. It's you at your best day that you need Jesus. It's on your best day that you need Jesus. And so outside of Jesus, there is no one who is righteous. And now, how does he solve this iniquity problem? Hebrews 7.25, you don't have to turn there, I'll just put it up. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost. That's what we're talking about, isn't it? How does Jesus not only save me from my external, but how does he save me internally to the uttermost? Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. So those who draw near to God through Jesus Christ, since he, Jesus Christ, always, 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 always lives to make intercession for them. Now hear me, that's good news because Jesus, the righteous one, knows your struggles. He's always praying for you by name. He knows your iniquities. He knows your bents. He knows the way that you want to turn right even though you love him. He knows the way that you're digging those holes, trying to find water. And he always says, I'm pleading for you. I'm praying for you. And when Jesus prays, he does bat a thousand. He gets it right every time, doesn't he? It says he intercedes. He knew and he knows all the mess that I would be, and he still goes to the cross. He absorbs all the wrath toward me, knowing all along that I'm going to be a mess. And so hear me. You walked in here this morning. Right now, Christ is interceding for you. Right now, right now, as you begin to think about all the ways that your life would be better with external stuff, Jesus is saying, no, 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 open their heart. Holy Spirit, meet them. God, come. Lord, uh, he's interceding. He says, no, don't let them chase it. No, I'm going to fix that. He bears our grief. He carries our sorrows, which means, listen, he doesn't do away with our sorrows. He carries our sorrows. You're still going to have Sorrow. He doesn't make it go away. Jesus is our advocate. And hear me, he's not detached from our losses. He's not detached from our struggle. He's not just simply up there somewhere looking down and saying, hey, you should probably do that better. You should probably get that right. He's not detached from that. He's right there interceding for you. He's not detached from from your divorce. He's not detached from your cancer. He's not detached from your family situation. He's not detached from your loneliness. He's not detached from all the ways that people have betrayed you. He's there. He's interceding for you. And as children of God, we have an empathetic high priest who knows how to pray for what we need. Sometimes people come to me and they're like, hey, pastor, will you pray for me? Yeah, and, and, and they, think, they, they think they know what they need. I think I know what they need, but, but it's not just a fix to the solution. It, it's actually Jesus. So I just pray. Jesus knows what we need by working in us. God is working in our hearts that draws us near to him. Outside of God intervening, we're always going to choose stuff. Okay, let me close with this. Luke 22, go ahead and turn there. He knows how to pray. He knows what we need. Luke 
In the coming Messiah, we have a high priest who carries our sorrows, carries our grief. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions. And now he intercedes for us. Eric, what does that look like? Look in verse 31. This is Jesus talking. It's red letter. He says, Simon, which is Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you. Satan actually asked that he might sift you like wheat. Do you know how wheat is sifted? It's tore apart. Simon, the enemy asked to have you and to tear you apart. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That's intercession. But I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. At that moment, Jesus was interceding for Peter. In the same way, Jesus intercedes for you, that his promise for you will be fulfilled by his intercession. He prayed, Peter, I pray that your faith will not fail. Your faith will not fail. Can we be confident in the prayer of Jesus? In the same way, because Jesus says, when you have turned, Peter, I prayed for you, and when you turn, strengthen your brothers. He doesn't say, okay, I prayed for you, and if that happens, then you should do this. He says, no, 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 I've prayed for you, and when you be strong in your faith, because I prayed, and I pray, and when I pray, it happens. I've prayed You will not fail, and so maybe you're here today, and you're like Peter, and in so many ways you've denied Jesus. Peter goes on and denies him and denies him and denies him, yet his faith in the end is solid like a rock, and he says, upon that that faith, upon me, I will build my church. So maybe you're here today and you've denied Jesus. Maybe you've stumbled and you've stumbled and you've struggled with iniquity and you have so many times tried to make cisterns with your own hands, trying to find living water. And Jesus, hear me, he prays for you. Your iniquity, your iniquity will not own you. Your faith will not fail. Isn't it amazing that Christ came, born in a manger, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, although not sin. And he bore our griefs, carried our sorrows, bore our sin and our iniquities. He rose in victory. And in his coming, he says, why don't you come to me? Isn't it amazing how in his coming, he invites us to come? Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come to me. This is the invitation of Advent. He arrives and he says to his people, come home. Come home to me. I'll fix it. I'm fixing it. 
For Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The band, come on up, and we kind of set our hearts as a time for respond. I really have two invitations for you. I'm not going to I'm not going to call you forward unless you want to come forward and pray. And I'm not going to call you out, but maybe you're here today. And if you're honest, you would say, Eric, I am stuck in my iniquity. Man, I've got a bent like a right turn. And no matter what I've tried, I can't can't fix it. Maybe maybe today you come to the place where you say, okay, I'm going to ask Jesus. I'm going to trust Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you never asked him to really take your life. Maybe you've come and you've asked him to do some things for you, but you've never ultimately asked him to lead you as Lord Today, our response would be just that. Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, I need you. I want to put my faith in you. If that's you, during this response, I would encourage you, call out to Jesus. The Bible says, that he's not far from each one of us. Yet there's others of you who've said, yeah, you know, I, I've given Jesus my life and, and you've walked in here today as a believer, but you feel like that your bent is just stronger than ever. Your iniquity, it seems to be crooked as ever and it seems to be owning you. Could it be that not every day is a mountain? Now we get those days sometimes, but not every day is. But so much of your life is the steadfast one minute at a time, one day at a time to cry out to God and say, I trust you, I need you. Jesus, meet me here in this moment. Help me grow in my faith to trust that you're better than it all. And so whether you've cried out to Jesus before or you never have, the prayer's the same. God, I need you. I need you to make straight in me what's broken. And I'm trusting that your promise is is true for me. Let's pray that. Jesus, you make some amazing promises for my heart. Promises that I've seen little by little transforming, but, but there's other areas, if I were honest, there's other areas that I need you in. And so Jesus right now is the church 
as your people, as your son, as, as, I'm sit, as I stand here, Lord, now, crying out to you, Jesus, will you meet me right here? Will you begin to fulfill your promise to me that you will take my iniquity, that you will make straight my bent, that you will place me in your righteousness and fill me with your spirit so that I can say you are better, that I stop digging holes that aren't even God's. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, I need you. It's in your great name that I call upon you, Jesus. It's in your great name that I ask you, show yourself mighty and true today. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. LifePoint Church exists to engage, encourage, and equip through the gospel for the glory of God. Therefore, it is our prayer that the word of God would be an encouragement to your heart and lead you into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. If you would like to support the ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at thelifepointconnection.com give. May God bless and may your life point to Christ everywhere in every way. <laughs>